Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 298th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on way to win it! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot, short rebounded. May, it's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national dadgum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back with you guys once again today. Getting you ready for Carolina and Charleston Southern to close out the non-conference portion of the season. That game will come your way Friday night at 8 p.m. over on the ACC Network. We're going to break down the Buccaneers, tell you everything you need to know about them, look at this game from the Carolina perspective, keys to the game, so much more. But before we do any of that, we start every edition of the pod as we always do with our pod thought of the day and we go to the guy who I believe is credited with the uh, the five day forty hour work week model that we we all now follow. So oh, lovely this guy. You know, this is a guy that either some people love, some people hate, maybe people are indifferent on. But his name is Henry Ford, and his pod thought is is you can't build a reputation on what you are going to do. And um. You know, when you look at this team, I think they have a reputation that they're gonna they're gonna score the ball and they're gonna score it very well. They're averaging over eighty five points per game. But another reputation is that North Carolina basketball is gonna rebound the ball. Like in my lifetime, that's been a given. Like you knew when Carolina showed up, Carolina was gonna rebound. Um, that's no longer the case right now. This is not a great rebounding team. Um, they might be average in the college basketball world, but for North Carolina standards, this is a below average rebounding team. And I think it's, you know, you look at that quote where it says you can't build a reputation on what you are going to do. I think, you know, we just took it for granted that this, this team, this program's going to rebound the ball. Um, and that's just simply not the case. And I go back to the, the Oklahoma game, um, 
that Carolina played before the the Christmas break, and and it wasn't just the fact that they, you know, it's not a lack of size, it's not a lack of, it's not even a lack of effort. A lot of it was just positioning. A lot of it was just them taking themselves out of plays, and it's just something that, you know, Carolina was away during the holiday break. They just got back together probably Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, so you didn't have a full nine days to try to fix it, but. This is something that if this team and this program is going to compete for an ACC title, take that next step um, in terms of making the tournament and advancing in the tournament, this needs to improve as much as anything as the season moves along. Yeah, I mean, you you would believe that that could prevent Carolina from getting there. Although you look at some of the teams, especially you know a team like San Diego State last year, not the greatest rebounding team in the country. So I, I think, look, it's possible – but you need you would feel more comfortable, I think, if this team was able to rebound at a higher level. I think the thing that people just have to sort of accept with this team at this point is that this is not a team that's built with rebounders. These are not guys that are just struggling to rebound because there's not the effort. It's guys that simply are not great rebounders. And the problem is is that, when you went to this style of play, which is helping you offensively, you're seeing you're seeing having four different guys on the floor most of the time that can shoot the basketball, um, especially late in games, is be- uh, very beneficial. So, I, I I think even if you're very critical of this move because you want to be critical of Hubert Davis, there's a reason that he wanted to play four out, one in, and you're seeing why this year with what they're doing on the offensive end of the floor. But, yeah, I mean, rebounding-wise, I think, you know, and I said it the last time when we were recapping the game against Oklahoma, the key to this is Armando Baycott returning to the form that we saw him play at in his junior year. It just is. I know it's tough to say that because you say, well, isn't Armando the one guy that is rebounding? Yeah, he is, but he's, he. we've seen what he is capable of. He showed that to us. You need to see that moving forward this year when the team needs him to be that force on the glass. Even if you're not that guy that's scoring the ball at a high level at the other end of the floor, I'm, I mean, look, we, we want, you, want you to take advantage of the opportunities, but, I mean, they were saying uh, the other night on – Uh, the broadcast of the Oklahoma game. Well, we don't understand why he isn't shooting the ball 16, 17 times a game, something like that. It's like, well, here's the thing. He didn't have this much help around him in his other years, primarily in that 21-22 season and then last year. So I'm not too concerned about that area for him. I think as long as he's efficient and makes the most of his opportunities, he'll be fine. I'm more concerned about the fact that we're not seeing the dominant rebounder that we've seen at times, and that's part of the reason why Carolina as a team is struggling to rebound the basketball. Yeah, I mean, look, he's averaging over 11 boards per game. He's doing his part. The thing is that you're asking guys that aren't equipped to be elite rebounders to rebound the ball at an elite level. Well, the 11 rebounds per game, by the way, the majority, like, they were bolstered by some of his performances early in the year. Look at what he's done in some of the bigger games. Yeah, he's I mean, been in look, the single digits. He's been had a couple where he's been around six against 
You know, I mean, that's how many he had against Kentucky, against Bradshaw, who had a huge night on the glass. So um, it, it's it's a fair point, but like I, to me, is why I've really hammered UNC rebounding game, UNC rebounding game, and you're asking guys to do something that 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 they're not they're not the best at, but that's what great players do, is they rise to the challenge, they find ways to contribute, and I think Carolina's capable of doing it. I think that's why I've been so frustrated is that because I think Harrison Ingram can be a really good rebounder. I think Cormac Ryan can be a really good rebounder. I know R.J. Davis can be a really good rebounder. But you haven't seen it come um, to fruition altogether in the same game, and it's why Carolina has had the rebounding struggles that they have had. Um, by the way, you know this is our first podcast back since the Oklahoma game. So we we I do want to hope and wish you guys a hope you hope you had a great Christmas hope you had a great holiday great time with your family your friends got all the Tar Heels gifts and goodies that you were wanting to get um, I, I know we were certainly blessed um, with, with getting able to spend time with our families took some time away from the pod um, Ashton and I were supposed to record um, an addition my little brother a guy that you'll hear from time to time. But he came down with the sickness that you can probably hear a little bit in my voice. So that's why, you know, his his takes, his opinions haven't been put out there. And truth be told, that might be for the best. So, um, but we're gonna try to get him on uh, as we get into the ACC season. Before we we preview Charleston Southern, got a discussion topic that we have uh, incorporated into every fabric of the podcast that we do here, and this is the final game of 2023. Because um, Carolina will not play again until the calendar turns 2024, and so this might be a really tough question to answer, because you got to look back at the end of the 2023 season from last year and the first half of the 2023 season this year that lead in 2024. If you had to describe the year of 2023 as a whole for Carolina basketball, how would you describe it? Mm. I would go with a death and rebirth. I mean, you're talking about a the, the death of a team that went to the national championship game. And we all thought coming into last season had a chance to get back and avenge that with a title win. But... You know, once, I mean, you kind of knew it when the calendar turned last year, but for them to miss the NCAA tournament, for them to choose not to go to the NIT tournament, for Caleb Love to leave, um, I, I think that was really the end of an era at Carolina basketball that I think needed to come to an end. And you're seeing why with the way that Carolina's playing this year, the way that Caleb Love is playing this year, and the rebirth is, you know, the fact that they did sit out the NIT tournament, allowed Carolina to get a head start, to get aggressive with certain guys that they wanted in the transfer portal, and you've seen how big that has been for Carolina, the performances that we've seen throughout the year from Harrison Ingram, um, what we've seen lately from Cormac Ryan, uh, you know, I, I know Jalen Withers hasn't been great. Same thing with Paxson Wojcik. But even still, those are guys that Hubert Davis was able to get uh, that he felt were a big part of rejuvenating this Carolina program. And, of course, 
getting Elliott Cadeau to reclassify. So I think that's kind of how I, I I look at it is you saw a team that at the end of last year needed to be separated. There needed to be some tweaks made. And credit to Hubert Davis, he made the tough decisions. And you look at where Carolina's at now, and this is the best that we felt about a Carolina team since 2018-19. So a lot of credit to Hubert. Yeah, I mean, if I was to, to find one word to describe the year as, as a whole, would be inconsistent. Because you saw the back half of last year, they were just simply not a good competitive basketball team. Um, you know, and even when when they looked good in, in moments of, you know, remember that home win over Virginia, we thought maybe was going to propel them to another, you know, another appearance in the NCAA tournament. That didn't happen. You look at this year, though, it's night and day. Like, Carolina's beaten two top ten teams, three ranked wins if you count the win over Arkansas at the time when they were a ranked opponent, went toe-to-toe with the Kentucky, you know, fought very valiantly against UConn, who um, is as good as any team in the country. And lost to Villanova in a setting where Villanova is hard to beat, and, and so I think that's that that that's that's been the year uh, so far. It's kind of been the Hubert Davis era since he became the head coach, where it's been levels of uneven play. Where Carolina's played really, really good at times, they've played really, really not so good at other times. But you are right; this is as good that I have felt about a team at this point in the season since 2018-2019. And even that team, I didn't think, was going to be that good. And that team was the last team to win an ACC regular season title, was a one-seed in the tournament, made the Sweet 16 and all that. And so I'm not saying this team is going to achieve all those things, but I feel as good as I as I as, as since that season at any point in the year. Let's now transition to the task at hand, and that is the Charleston Southern Buccaneers and they are four and eight on the season, so not the quality of mid majors that Carolina started out seeing. You know, Radford, Lehigh, you know, UC Riverside, a, a team that um, you know would would later go on and play UCLA to the buzzer. So you know, Carolina has played some quality mid majors. This isn't one of them. Um, they're zero and two against ACC competition, having lost to Wake Forest by fifteen and to NC State by thirty four. They also lost to South Carolina, a team that's ten and one. But you know, South Carolina isn't a program that um, you know really stands out uh, among the nation's elite. Three of their four wins have come against Johnson and Wales, um, the, <laughs> ah, the tough one, the local culinary school here in Charlotte. Um, I believe you pronounce this this school's name as to Toka Falls, to Coca Falls. They're 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 a Division two program that got famous. Tacoa Falls, Tacoa Falls. That got because yes. yes. they got absolutely bludgeoned by some uh, Power Five, and then they've they've beaten a school, the Christian the the, the Kentucky Christian Knights. I don't know if it's a university, okay, a college, a community college. I don't. That's the name uh, this, of the school. This may be a collection of Kentucky Christian fathers that just got together and wanted to show their sons they could play. By the way, that school scored seventy nine on them. Yeah, now, they scored one hundred three. But uh, yeah, like you're talking about a, a program that has four wins. Three of them are against Division two or worse level programs. Mind you, they have four players averaging double figure scoring. 17.3 points per game by R.J. Johnson, who's their leading scorer. 
1.6 rebounds, 2.4 assists. He's shooting 50% from the field, 48% from three. Taj Kelly, 15.3 points, 8.7 rebounds, 2.3 assists. He's shooting 53% from the field, 39% from three. Alon Sumler, 11.3 points, 1.7 rebounds, 1.3 assists. He's shooting 40% from the field, 37% from three. DJ Patrick's our last guy in double figures, 10.7 points, 3.9 rebounds, 2.3 assists. He's shooting 37% from the field, 31% from three. Short story short, um, this, this is all they have. Like, outside of them, there is not a single player on this roster that scares you. To go a step further, just to really show you that it's kind of weird that you got four dudes averaging double-figure scoring and you're four and eight, um, teams are making just 5.3 three-pointers against them. That's the fifth-fewest number in the country. And teams are only attempting 17.4 three-pointers against them. That's the seventeenth fewest in the country. Now maybe that's because teams are getting to the run to the to the to the rim and they're living inside the three point line and, and scoring points in the paint at will. But even in today's basketball, with it being so perimeter oriented, teams aren't making or taking a lot of threes against this team. And, you know, there's no denying that this is the worst team that Carolina has played so far this season. In the non conference season. Um, or, or even including the ACC. This will be the worst team Carolina has played so far this year. But they've got guys that are capable of putting the ball in the basket, and their defensive numbers suggest from the perimeter they could make life hard for Carolina. Uh, I mean, you look, yes, they've got guys that can put the ball in the basket. Now, here's the thing. The majority, the, the big part of the reason why those guys are averaging double figures is because of the three games that they've played against Division Two opponents. Because here's the thing. Division One opponents, this isn't even power conference opponents, just Division One opponents, which for them includes some of the schools that they've played. Their lone win outside of Division Two, South Carolina State, North Alabama, and Loyola Chicago, which, look, we love the Loyola Chicago story. That's why Porter Mosier annoying us a little bit the other night was tough for us because we we, lo- we we were uh, big proponents of him when he was at Loyola Chicago. Not the same Loyola of Chicago team. They are averaging 62 points per game against Division One teams. So that's the problem, right, is, yes, you've got guys that are scoring at a pretty high rate, but the majority of that scoring is coming against chefs, Christian fellas, and Tacoa Falls people. I don't know who those people are. So, I mean, I don't know. You know, I get it. Carolina, I think, has to make sure they're locked in and ready to go because Charleston Southern. I mean, they've got nothing to play. They, they've got nothing to play for. Like they, they know they can just go out there and and. It try to create a little bit of havoc, but ultimately no one's giving them a chance. Um, I think this probably sets up for Carolina's defense to be able to build a little bit off of that game against Oklahoma. And that's honestly probably why this game is perfect. Because, you know, for Carolina, if they then turned around and let's say they played Clemson next. Let's say they went straight into conference play and played Clemson. Okay, that would be the type of game. Clemson's a team that's capable of scoring and scoring at a pretty high rate that 
could sort of set you back and get you back into some old habits. This might be exactly what Carolina te- Carolina needs, a team that is struggling mightily against Division One competition, especially teams from power conferences, and this could allow them to sort of build off of what they did the other night in the half court, experiment with certain other things that they may want to do, and it also could allow them to build a little bit of confidence in that area that you were talking about when we started the show, which is rebounding. This is a game where Carolina should dominate the glass. Now, dominate for this Carolina team might not mean plus 20, 22 on the glass. It might mean plus 12, plus 15 on the glass. But those are the areas that Carolina should be able to dominate this opponent. And I think, you know, they should be able to put up points on this group because, yeah, not only is this team not scoring against Division One competition, they have allowed over uh, 70 points per game in every one of their uh, losses to Division One competition. The only time they didn't was their win where they won 66-64 to over a putrid South Carolina State team. When you look at this game from a Carolina perspective, the Heels enter 8-3. and three, Back inside the top 10 of the AP poll after they beat number 7 Oklahoma a week ago. Um, this is a final non-conference game, as we mentioned. Carolina is 7-3 and three in non-conference games so far. This is uh, Carolina's first home game, mind you, since the come-from-behind win against Florida State all the way back the first week of December. So they've been away from home for a while. But at the Smith Center, Carolina 5-0 and and is averaging 86 to, uh, 86.2 points per game. Carolina themselves have four guys averaging double-figure scoring. Led by R.J. Davis is 21.7 points per game. He was named ACC Player of the Week for the second time for his performance against the Sooners. 3.6 rebounds, 3 assists, shooting 44% from the field, 38% from three. Armando Baycott. 15.1 points, 11 rebounds, 1.3 assists, shooting 51% from the field. Harrison Ingram, 14.3 points, 6.3 rebounds, 2.5 assists, shooting 49% from the field, 44% from three. And then Cormac Ryan, 11.6 points per game, 3.4 rebounds, 1.4 assists. He's shooting 38% from the field, 29% from three. And then a, a stat that we, we, we've tracked all, all season long, Carolina is making 21.1 free throws per game, the second most in the country, and they're attempting 27.7 free throws per game, the seventh most in the country. Let's now move to our keys to the game. Um, And the first thing I have is what you were talking about when you were going through some of their other numbers. Build off the defensive success from the Oklahoma game because that tape is real. Like, you forced 18 turnovers. You score 24 points off of those turnovers. You held a team to shoot 40% from the field, 31% from three. All of those were their lowest totals of the year, and their turnover number was the highest. And you did it without pressing. So you're capable. Like, we, we've sat here and we've wondered and we debated, can this team defend in the half court without full court pressing? Can this team defend against some of the better offensive teams in the country? You can. Because that was Oklahoma, and you held them to 69 points. That's a nice number. And this game, you want to be as in tune as you've been on that end of the floor because when you go to ACC play, 
guess what you start out with? Three straight ACC road games mm-hmm. against a Clemson team that might compete to win the ACC regular season title, a Pitt team that looks like they could that they could vie for a tournament spot. Also, you just don't know. You haven't been able to beat them in how yeah. long? So, but, and then I, then I believe it's NC State, a team that will be looking for a marquee early ACC win if they want to get themselves maybe into tournament talk. And so Carolina needs to be as fine-tuned on that end of the floor as they've been all season long. And this is a great chance. This is a great opportunity for you to do that. Um, you got to account for the four guys that can score the ball. But as you mentioned, those numbers are inflated because they've beaten the crap out of bad basketball teams. Mm-hmm. Like, you, when, whenever they've played quality competition, they've struggled. This is the best group of basketball players that Charleston Southern will have seen so far. And so, you know, for me, I want to see Carolina aggressive. I want them to press. Like, I want that mindset to be there. If they, even if they jump out to a 10-2 lead, okay, let's make it 16-4. Let's make it 22-6. Let's, but let's do it with our defense. And if Carolina can do that, I think it'll continue to win people over who are still on the fence about this team being legit contenders in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd like to see him press at certain points, but I, you know, the other, I, I'm really going to be focused on what they look like defensively in the half court because you were able to do it against Oklahoma, as you said, they didn't, they didn't have to press, and they put together that type of performance, and that was just guys moving their feet, thinking quickly. That's what you need from this team because it seems like early in the year. And look, there were some teams that did a really good job of just screening Carolina. There were some tremendous screening teams. But at the same time, I, I think, I don't know if they had the wrong mindset, but the way that they looked the other night, I mean, there was something different about that group that was out there. They were more aggressive, get it, you know, in terms of, you know, doubling. Um, and I just like the way that they were getting to – uh, to to their spots, getting to their to p- the guys with the ball. So, yeah, I I think I would be shocked if Carolina doesn't put together a strong performance on that end of the floor in this game. Um, yeah, you 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 do have to be. I, I'm not gonna say concerned, but it is notable that they do have guys that have been able to score it at times this year. They're coming off of their best output of the season with 103 points. But, yes, it came against a Division II squad, or, I mean, I don't even know what level Kentucky Christian is. So that I, I think Carolina should be able to put together maybe their best defensive performance of the season. I know UC Riverside was struggling coming in, but this has the chance to be the best performance that Carolina has put on because, as you said, this is easily the best team that Charleston Southern has faced, and they've struggled to score against teams like Wake Forest, NC State, and the Citadel. So I think Carolina will probably provide a little bit more of a test for them. The second key I have is is take smart perimeter shots because whether it's the fact that Charleston Southern lacks size, strength, or whatever it is on the interior, like the three-point defense, those numbers are real. When you play 12 games – in today's basketball, you're defending the three-point line really, really well. Um, and, look, I think, you know, we, we started the season talking about guys with the green light. That was Davis, Ryan, and Wojcik. I think that has definitely evolved now to where it's it's Davis, Ryan, 
And I think this is an area where Harrison Ingram needs to become more aggressive. Like you're shooting 44% from behind the three-point line. And part of it is because you're not shooting a high volume of them. But I, I think I'm at the point where I'm comfortable with him shooting three threes a game, maybe get that number up to four, because I think it opens up his back-to-the-basket game, his ability to put the ball on the floor and drive to the hole and draw a foul. Um, you know, I we, we, we've lamented Cormac Ryan's shooting percentage. It's 29%. You go back to the Oklahoma game, it wasn't great. But he's taking right shots, so they're going to fall. But Carolina needs a third perimeter scorer to emerge. I think that guy is Harrison Ingram, and I think his percentage would tell you that he knows when to take the, you know, that he's taking smart shots. Just take more of them. Be more aggressive because it's going to open up the floor, open up the game for everyone else. But, you know, this is going to be something where, um, especially if they're going to try to pack the paint and try to limit the production of Armando Baycott. You got to take perimeter shots. They got to, they got to be the right ones in the rhythm of the offense. Well, that's the thing. I, I'm not really going to press Ingram to take more shots because I, I, I from the outside that is because I think that he is taking the smart shots that you want to see, and I think at times we've seen from other guys, especially in the last few years, and even at times with certain guys that are on the floor this year, you see guys taking shots that they shouldn't necessarily be taking from the outside. So I think Ingram's playing it smart. This game for me, and and, and you're right, I think it, you, you, get, you have to be smart about when you look for the outside shot because the majority of the time you're going to be able to get downhill on this team. That's, that's really what it is, is that teams um, you know, have simply just been able to get inside and score the basketball. This could be a big game for Armando Baycott as well. We've seen him dominate these opponents so far this season, especially in the Smith Center. So I I expect a big game from him, but I also know that this group is capable of their guys getting to the basket and scoring uh, pretty much at will, especially against an opponent of this caliber. We've seen it with R.J. Davis. We know that's Seth Trimble's game when he's playing at his best. That's probably a game that suits Elliott Cadeau a little bit better um, if he's wanting to score the basketball. And, you know, even some of the wing guys, you know, Harrison Ingram, the back-to-the-basket game, but he's got that ability to drive the ball as well, even, you know, especially the drive and kick. We've seen that. That could be what opens up some of those perimeter shots for you. Uh, And we've also seen it at a Cormac Ryan uh, as well as a guy like Jalen Withers. Maybe this is a game where he can at least find something on the offensive end and maybe get back into a little bit of a rhythm because we saw him in the fir- in the first few games of the season against these lesser opponents be able to get to the basket. That was one of the things we liked the most about his offensive game. So that would be my focus is get to the, get to the basket. Um, even if you don't finish, get to the free throw line where Carolina has been so successful, especially against mid-major programs. And, uh, you know, if you do that, I think you'll have an efficient day offensively. And if you can score to me, I mean, you, you score in the 70s or 80s, this is a game that you should be able to win by 20 or more points easily. The last key I have for the, the, this game is to play through Armando Baycott because I think for the long term, you've got to get his motor going. Because, like, the production the other night against Oklahoma wasn't bad. I think he had 14 and 8. And that's good enough for Carolina. It was good enough for Carolina to beat a top 10 team. Although, how many times is. Uh... 
are, are three of those points going to be from beyond the arc? That's that's not often. You you don't know, but you know, for Carolina to to get it itself to top three in the league, maybe being the favorite to win the league, he's got to get to a different level and. Look, uh, the way that R.J. Davis is playing, he's been the best guard in the country. The offense needs to go through him, but it needs. we need Armando to be Mondo and be a guy that's a commanding presence, that's, that's drawing double teams because he's a good passer out of those double teams. And maybe you'll see those shooting percentages increase for Cormac Ryan. Maybe you see Harrison Ingram take more three-pointers a game at the, the percentage that he's shooting. But, you know, and I also think it impacts his rebounding. Like, when Armando's getting fed, he wants to eat. He's a big fella. And, you know, so I think I think it plays on both ways. This isn't a key for Carolina necessarily to win the game, but this is your final tune-up before ACC play, and it's 19 straight league games against a league that, no, it's not the best in the country, but I think it's deeper than we thought it was going to be when the season tipped off, and you want Armando Baycott to be playing at a level right when you were right at the start of the, the league play where you can get off the ground running. Because if Carolina can get off to a fast start and maybe go two and one in those three road games, heck, maybe even go three and oh, it's really going to position themselves to really be a legit contender. And that only that's only possible if the big man in the middle is doing what he does best. I think you have to feel it out. I, I think you have to see what Things are looking like from his perspective. If you give him some touches inside early, look, if he just cannot finish inside, which we've seen that at times this season, then you can't be forcing it to him and just saying, well, we're going through you. You're going to lead us to victory in this game. You have to be able to utilize the other guys that are on the floor, especially a guy like R.J. Davis. But I think you know this is one of those games where you would not expect Charleston Southern to be able to handle his presence inside. I think, you know, also one of the things you'd like to see from him in this game, what are the strengths that we saw from him, especially during the title run? But even a little bit at times last year you saw it, it's his ability to get on the offensive glass and create those second-chance opportunities. Carolina, they're going to be aggressive trying to go downhill. There's times where you're not going to get the cleanest looks because a guy is hitting the floor, maybe doesn't draw the foul that he's hoping to, that's where Armando Baycott has to be able to clean up on the glass. And if he can do that, those are the easy points that he's been able to get in the past that really sort of get him in a rhythm offensively. It's not these shots that he's having to take, the hook shots away from the basket that just don't seem to be falling. Uh, the ones that he has to take in the post and then uh, you know ends up having to try to fight through a double team and draw contact. Those are the th- those are the things that I think have prevented him from being able to score the basketball the way that we've seen him do in the past. So I think yes, you want to utilize him a lot in this game mainly because you feel like this is one of the few matchups where you can put it inside to him and even if they do start throwing double teams at him, there's a chance he could fight through it against a team that just doesn't have the strength to compete with him. But at the same time, I think even if he's a guy that doesn't put together an outstanding scoring night, to me, if he's a guy that comes out and really cleans the glass at a high level, 15, 17 rebounds, something in that range, I think you could still walk away and feel like, man, Armando had a really great night. Carolina enters with a 98.4% chance 
to win the game according to ESPN's analytics department. Who wins the game and why? Uh, Carolina wins. Uh, there's no doubt about that in my mind. And I think they probably win this game by the most comfortable margin they have all season. Uh, I think it'll be somewhere in the 25 to 30 point range, which was where that UC Riverside game was. I just, to me, you're you're facing a team that has absolutely no momentum. Um, I I think you know one thing to watch in this game is if Carolina gets off to a little bit of a slow start because of how long they have been off. Don't get overly concerned, but. I don't even know if that's going to happen. I really think Carolina is going to be motivated to build off of that performance against Oklahoma because it probably feels like for those guys, it may have taken a little bit of pressure off their shoulders because, yeah, they probably, I mean, you don't really want to be reading what people are saying about you. We hear that all the time from athletes, but these guys probably know that everybody was saying going into that game, well, you know, Carolina's best win is over Tennessee at home. How good really is this team? So I think maybe with that pressure off of their shoulders, Carolina can put together a really strong performance against a lesser opponent and send themselves off into conference play feeling pretty confident about themselves. Yeah, no, I I think Carolina wins. If they want it to be their biggest margin of victory, it'll have to be by 26 or more because they beat uh, UC Riverside 77-252. And I think, I think that's possible. I think this team is going to be energized. They're going to be ready to come back and, and play after another lengthy uh, break. After you know they played a lot of games at the end of November and the first week of December, they've really only played two games since the second week of the month. And so I think they'll be ready to play. Um, I think they dominate the games on both ends. Or I think they dominate the game on both ends to close out the non-conference season strong. Well, no matter what happens, we'll have you covered on the HeelToughBlog.com game preview, game recap. All that will be will be found on the website as I continue to take you through the basketball season. Football season is officially over after Carolina's loss in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. Anthony has you covered with that and any potential staff changes, the latest on the transfer portal. All that will be found on HeelToughBlog.com. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We do encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any dishes of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. I want to thank Anthony once again for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels! Get any sweeter than that!